want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, uh, the gospel according to Matthew chapter 13. If you're in the Blue Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 819. We're going to be looking at three verses this morning, verses 44 to 46. Now, here in Matthew 13, we're continuing to look at different aspects of living life within the kingdom of God, within the kingdom of heaven. We use those terms interchangeably. And I, and I think you'll probably agree this morning, if you've already looked at the text that we're going to be looking at, or, or if you look at it now, or as you hear it now, that as we begin a, a new year, as we begin 2023, and we look to what's ahead, that one of the best things that we could be doing is acknowledging and, and, and thinking about the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ and the greatness of His kingdom. And that's exactly what we're looking at this morning. That's what this passage is all about. Now, to help us think about kingdom living, uh, consider this. I, I just tried to pick a, a, a country out there that is, in some sense of the word, a true kingdom. Consider this. Anyone today who lives in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, they've got a king, uh, and they do have to adhere to that king, not just a figurehead. Uh, anyone who lives there would describe life in that kingdom in a particular way. So if you were to talk to them, ask them questions about it, they would probably speak about certain expectations that they live under, that they know that, that are placed upon them. They talk about certain laws uh, that they are subject to, which are different in many cases from the laws that we have here. They would also undoubtedly talk about some of the benefits that they receive and they recognize uh, as coming from living as a part of that kingdom. Uh, you might also hear from them about how they regard their king. Now, as I understand it in Saudi Arabia, it'd probably be the crown prince that they would talk about. Uh, the king is older, and it's the crown prince who uh, operationally is their king. Uh, but you know, if you, if, you, if you just listened to them talk for a while, and maybe observe their, their life uh, for some period of time, you would probably get a pretty good picture of how much they themselves value this kingdom and living in this kingdom and, and of what they really think about the king. Now, this is the type of thing that we're looking at this morning, but we're not looking at an earthly kingdom. Uh, we're looking at the kingdom of God. And, and so these are some of the questions that we want to answer this morning out of this pa passage. What is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, really like in terms of its importance, its value to someone who is a member of that kingdom? How much will he or she cherish or esteem or value this kingdom? And to what extent is a member of that kingdom going to be willing and, and heartily ready to submit to the king? And of 
course, we want to take those questions and, and apply them to ourselves as well. Now, you know, Jesus continues here to speak in parables as he does all the way through, at least through chapter 13. And as I read today's passage, you'll recognize there are two parables in three verses. So they are short, short parables, uh, but both very similar in their form, both essentially the same message. It's, it's really just amplified by having two parables uh, right there together that using two different pictures that bring this out. Uh, and so as I, as I read these words, I'd like for you to think about how relevant these words would have been to, to Jesus' main audience, his main audience for this, which would have been his 12 disciples. Based upon what you know about the disciples, what they had done, think about the relevance of this to them, and then our goal is for this to come to you and it to come to me with that same sense of relevance. Again, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. This is God's Word. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you for your word, and that we can know that uh, contained here is that which you intend for us to take on board, to build us up. And so we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to be able to see, to understand this word this morning, wherever we are, and uh, help us, therefore, Lord, to see that action that we ourselves need to take on that basis. We pray for your help in Christ's name. Amen. When I came to be of age to leave home many years back, uh, to leave the place where I had lived uh, and grown up, and to leave my parents and strike out on my own, it was a little bit progressive. I went to, to school for a while, but finally uh, left completely. You know, when I did that, uh, I was full of, of happiness and excitement about it. Uh, because I wanted freedom, and, and I wanted the ability to, to make my own decisions and my own life choices and, and live by them and, and to find my own way. Now, there's nothing in, in that that's really wrong or, or, or bad, but certainly in the way that I went about it and the things that I desired, this, this self-centeredness and to go my own way, uh, there were problems. And I came to know that because that's what I did uh, over several years. And, and at that time, I think if you had listened to me, if you had listened to my heart and to what my thoughts were during that time, you would have heard me often, maybe not verbally, but you would have heard me repeat these words. All I want is, and fill in the blank, all I want is to have my own place. All I want is to go when and where I want to, to do the work that I desire, and, and on. You, you get the picture there. Now, the key words in that are, all I want is. 
And anything else that didn't fit into the, the constraint in, into those words would have been seen by me as being something something negative. Kind of a, a constraint that was put upon me that was holding me back. Now, it's not that I dismissed all authority or anything like that. I, I knew I couldn't just go out and do anything that I wanted. But I did view just about anything else as being a constraint upon me. And that's not what I desired for myself. Now, I'll be honest, those same words I, I hear fairly frequently from other people today in all different uh, stages of life. People say, in essence, not always the same words, but they say, all I want is. And then they fill in the blank with something that's, that's missing. And generally, you can look at their lives and, and see, okay, that's, that's what they are pursuing. They're, they're seeking after that, that one thing, that big thing, uh, just like I did umpteen years ago. And maybe that's something that's true of you. Maybe it's something that has been true of you in, in the past, kind of like me. Uh, maybe you've filled in that blank for yourself. All I want is, and, and you filled it in with whatever it might be, freedom uh, that provides comfort, satisfaction, excitement. Uh, so a question for today. Might that be your question today? And, and how might you fill in that blank. You know, the world that we live in encourages us, encourages us in that direction. It says, you know, live your life. Uh, find what, what really satisfies you and, and, and seek it out and live it out. Fulfill your desires, whatever they might be. Well, the passage that we're turning to this morning uh, is very different from that. This passage speaks about a person who has, has come to the point of realizing they, they've done that sort of thing, at least to some extent, and they come to the point of realizing that when they fill in that blank with whatever it is that their heart desires, that they're always going to come up short. That for one, it's always going to be something that, that is temporary, and ultimately, it's always going to fail them. If, if they make that the thing, uh, and then that the thing, uh, this passage tells us that it's only Christ and only His kingdom that will ever ultimately satisfy. Nothing else. Uh, that true freedom, true satisfaction, true peace, can only be found by filling in this blank with Christ, not with our own answer. You know, I think that's why there's often, not always, but often, um, depression and anxiety in our lives, distress of different kinds. Uh, it's because we haven't found this, or maybe we just haven't fully laid hold of this, this one treasure this treasure that stands above all else that we see here, the kingdom of heaven. You know, we are told that to, to find the kingdom of heaven is to find the one treasure that is greater than any other treasure by far so that it's worth having at any cost. So we must go and lay hold of that kingdom. There's nothing that can, can compare and so, 
behind these parables is this question. Where is your treasure? You know, what is it that you've given yourself over to? Is it this? Is it this one thing above all else? You know, Christianity is often seen as, as a good thing by many, as one good thing among many that vie for attention in our lives. And, and that's seen to be, by many, to be right. But what Jesus is showing here is the faultiness in that thinking. And he shows that the person who, who treats it in that way has never really seen, has never really found the kingdom of, of God. Because the kingdom of God is that which enraptures us. It's that which grabs a hold of us so that it becomes to us a must-have. I, I, I've got to be a part of this. I, I have to be in this. Now, before we uh, break up this passage and, and work our way through it, I want to turn us again to uh, that uh, which the psalmist gave us earlier out of Psalm 84. You remember that was our, our call to worship. Um, because there, I think we get a glimpse of this. We get a, a glimpse of one who speaks and thinks and acts uh, as one who is a part of this kingdom. And so, let's, let me read these words. And as I read them, think about this as the goal. Making this the goal so that these words, the words of the psalmist, become our words. He says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praises. You know, that is a picture of one who who knows the priceless value of the kingdom of, of God and who therefore is wholeheartedly committed to that kingdom. And that's really at the heart of these, these parables that we're looking at in, in Matthew 13. Now, there are going to be some here who have never really known that. Uh, those words are, are really strange words. You, you've, you've always filled that place, that void in your heart with something else. But you've never known that kingdom. There are going to be others here uh, for whom... You need this as a reminder because you have seen, you have known that kingdom, but as often happens in our, our world, our, our eyes can become clouded over and we just need a reminder of what that kingdom is like and, and we need to be encouraged in that way. And so if that is you, let this be an encouragement and a reminder to you. You know, as we look back at our passage, there, there are three ways here in which these parables help us to understand this priceless value of God's kingdom. Three ways, three understandings, you might say, that we need. One, the kingdom of, of God is hidden from the rest of the world. Secondly, the kingdom of God is found by some. We're going to look at what that means, what that looks like. 
And then finally, the kingdom of God is possessed or it's made ours by holy and joyfully giving all. So the kingdom of God is, is hidden to most. The kingdom of God is found by some. And then we get instructions about how, how to make it ours. Uh, so, first of all, the kingdom of God is hidden from the rest of the world. You know, we have to answer that question. That if the kingdom of God is of such great value, as we see in these, these words right here and in other places as well, if it's of such great value, why don't people just flock to it? Now, that's a natural question to ask. Because that's the way things work, right? Now, case in point, um, Amazon, over many years, uh, well, relatively many years, uh, has been seen to have great value as an online or as a sh place to shop. And so what happens? Many people use it, so much so that they've got their own fleet of trucks now all over the nation, perhaps all over the world. Uh, so again, if there's value there, people flock to it. So why not the kingdom of God? And the simple answer is, it's hidden. It can't be seen by most people. Uh, look at the, the comparison that Jesus used to be, begin this parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Now, in that comparison, he's saying there is a before and there's an after. Now, previously, for this man, this kingdom was hidden. Uh, this man may have uh, the field that's there. It doesn't belong to him, but he, he may have traversed that field a hundred times. Uh, he may have looked in it or may not have. But it didn't belong to him, and he didn't know about this treasure. It was hidden from him, it says. Now, the same is true with the parable of the pearl, the pearl of great value. Previously, this merchant was in the dark about this pearl. We're not told whether he had ever seen or heard of this pearl before, but certainly he didn't know about its value. But there comes a point at which he does. So before, it was hidden from him. Uh, and as a, as a pearl merchant, or, or maybe a jewelry merchant who focused upon pearls, he must have bought and sold many pearls, but, but all of them, when seen against this one pearl, clearly were of little value. And what Jesus is pointing out here is something that's true of all people without exception, including all believers. It, it, it was true at one point in every person's life, and that is a blindness to the things of God. Now, I'm not talking about uh, that a person can't look at the world around them and, and know that there is a God. Uh, know perhaps even that they've been made by God. You might walk up to a person on the street uh, and uh, most of them are going to say in answer to that question, is there a God? They'll, they'll say, yes. I'm not talking about that. They can, they can even take 
God's Word, and they can read it, and they can learn things about God and, and talk about God, uh, and even teach in some of the, the, the greatest universities, even seminaries. They can teach about God and yet fail to have ever seen this treasure, fail to have ever even been inclined to submit themselves to this king. Now, this is a treasure that is hidden from every person from birth onward. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Why? What, what keeps people from seeing this treasure? Uh, I want to invite you to turn with me to Ephesians. Uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 17. Ephesians 4, 17. Now, in, in this passage, uh, Paul is giving the mindset of an unbeliever. Uh, he, he, he's saying this is, this is what characterizes unbelievers. And he's going to use the word Gentile here, but he's speaking about Gentile in the sense, in this case, of one who doesn't know God, doesn't care about God, an unbeliever. Verse 17, Paul says, Now, I, now this I say, and I testify in the Lord, that you, you, he's talking to the people in Ephesus, to this church, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, as the unbelievers do, in the futility of their minds. Now, the word futility means uselessness. It's, it's a person who doesn't really have a purpose. They're kind of stumbling about. There's no value there. Why? They are darkened, he says, in their understanding, alienated, from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Now, this is really a commentary on every person who doesn't know Christ. And they may be a very intelligent person. They may have great gifting, but there's a problem, Paul says. They are darkened in their understanding. It's as if a veil has been pulled over their eyes so that they, they can't see, and in particular, they can't see this one thing of great value. It's hidden from them, so as Paul says, they are alienated from the life of God. That's what sin does. He speaks here about hardness of heart. That's what sin does to a person. Paul calls it ignorance. One more place, uh, if you will. Uh, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. This is really the go-to passage in a, in a sense for laying this all out. In verse 18 of Romans 1, Paul says that all by their sin suppress the truth. Again, you can think about that veil that comes over. Suppress the truth. He's speaking about unbelievers. Now the truth of the kingdom might be there, and they might hear the gospel. They may even see readily the poverty in their own lives, spiritual poverty. They, they may know their own misery, and yet, by their unrighteousness, Paul says, they, they suppress the truth. Now, he goes on in, in verse 21, Romans 1, 21, and he says, for although they knew God, and he's speaking about here, knew God in the outward sense. They looked around. They, they saw the world around them. They, they, there must be a God, and, and He must be great and powerful, although they knew God. 
they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile. There's that word again. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. You know, if they could see the truth, if they could see who God really was, he's saying that they would honor him as God. They would give thanks to him. That's the person who's able to see. That's the person who has found the treasure. But for everyone else, he says they become futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. That same word again, were darkened. Uh, unable to see. Blind. Now, you know, I, I think it's important for us to understand this is the, the nature of or the characterization of an unbeliever. There is a blindness that is there. Uh, it's important for us to see this because it helps for us to have compassion with people. Uh, you know, we, we really have to be patient with them when we recognize there is a blindness there and they, can't, they just can't get past it. They can't see uh, we don't become impatient with someone who is blind because there, there's a table in their path. They run into it. Uh, no, we need to exhibit compassion. Uh, you know, I think this understanding is especially helpful when we're able to apply it to our own selves and, and to look back and, and, and see ourselves in that condition. Several years ago, and I can't remember if I've shared this before or not, but several years ago, we were cleaning out our garage. We were going to have a, a yard sale. I think it's when we were in California, we were getting ready to move. I, I'd been a, a believer for a number of years at that point. I came across a mini tape recorder. Uh, many of the young people here won't know that at all, but uh, you think about a cassette tape, and it's really tiny. Uh, it, was, it was one of those, a recorder, and I wanted to see if it still worked. And so I put batteries in it. I, w I wanted to sell it. Uh, I put batteries in it. I, I hit play. And in it, there was a tape. And I found a recording of myself. And you always want to be careful. If you find a recording of yourself from many years back, and this was one of those times, it was from many years back. It was shortly after, after college, and I was uh, by myself, in my one-room apartment at that time, and I was making chocolate chip cookies. I always loved chocolate chip cookies. And uh, also, at the same time, I was, I was drinking. Uh, and uh, I could hear what I was saying. My words were a little bit slurred, but I could tell the words, and they were something to this effect, that someday, someday, I'm going to look and I'm going to figure out this God thing and see if there really is a God out there. Now this was me in the futility of my own mind, stumbling around, not knowing, not understanding, not able to see at all. My eyes were darkened. I couldn't see the kingdom of heaven. I was completely blind to it. And you know, I never did go looking for it. Thank the Lord that, that He opened eyes and, and in His grace He provided the kingdom before me. But the point is that the kingdom of heaven is hidden from the world. They're unable to see. That's the world. But the kingdom is found by some. There are some who find it. 
And they're able to recognize it for what it is. And their eyes are, are open. They're able to see. And they're able to recognize the unparalleled value of the kingdom of God. Now the man in the first parable, if you recall, he didn't own the field. Didn't own this field. It wasn't his before. Uh, but then something caused him to be in that field, to go through that field, and he finds the treasure. And he's able to recognize this as being the one treasure that outshines every other treasure. Now the same was true with the, the pearl merchant. He had the ability to see this one pearl that had greater value than anything else he was able to see its supreme beauty, its priceless value. You know, for believers, there comes a point in which there is a finding. There is an ability to see the kingdom. There comes that point. Remember, the problem is blindness. But there comes that point at which the veil is lifted. It, 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 it wasn't like that before. Previously, they had an inability to see the kingdom uh, but then there's this change. Now, this is a person who may or may not have attended church before. They may or may not have spent time around others who are believers. But you can know that up to this point, they were interested, they were centered upon other things. They loved the things of the world. But this is speaking about a point at which their eyes are open. In fact, one of the words the Bible uses is their eyes were they, they were enlightened. Uh, you can turn there if you want. I'm, I'm going to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm just really going to focus upon one word there. This is Hebrews 10, verse 32, uh, where the author of Hebrews says to the people that he's writing to, uh, the believers that are there, he says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, and then he goes on to talk. The, the King James says, after you were illumined. Now the word implies that it's a person that wasn't able to see before. Their eyes were darkened before. But now there's been a change that's occurred. Light has come in. And that light changes everything. And all of a sudden, the things that this person found satisfaction in before no longer hold that same appeal. And there's something else that's, that's put in its place. Now, alcohol, perhaps, is a good illustration. Uh, you know, a person may look forward uh, over a period of time, many years, look forward, they, they get into this mode, look forward to relaxing with with, uh, you know, a beer and then a couple of beers and then uh, more after that. And and it seems like a wonderful thing because each time you've got all your troubles that are there, things that are weighing you down, stress and anxiety, and then this, this seems to take it away. The, the weight that was there is removed. And so it seems to hold value. But all of a sudden, there, there comes this understanding. And, and you can see that all that that alcohol did was to mask that's all that it did. It, it masked the pain. It, it was always there uh, when I woke up, uh, maybe with a little bit of a hangover as well. Uh, but the sense of, of guilt might even be greater and greater. And you, you couldn't shake it off. 
until you had that next drink. Now, part of this becoming uh, enlightened, coming to understand, is when you're asking that question, now, why would I do that? Why would I go back again and again and again? You know, the Bible talks about that in these terms, very graphic terms, like a dog that returns to its vomit. You know, why would I do that? It doesn't fulfill, it doesn't ultimately satisfy, it only makes me sicker. You know, to be enlightened is to see all the other treasures of this world in that light. Good things, often, but good things that are, are used in a, in a wrong way that we center upon, whether it's money or material things, job, giftedness. You know, to know and to be able to see these for what they really are. And then to be able to see the one thing that it is of great value. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. To be enlightened means to find that treasure and to be convicted inside, to know inside that this, this is it, that this is real, this is not temporary. This won't go away. This is not a, a promise. Jesus doesn't promise and then not deliver that in Christ the sin and the guilt and the weight is truly taken away and you are left with a clean conscience. And His kingdom is a treasure that never stops giving. Uh, one more place I'd like for us to look is back in Ephesians once again, Ephesians chapter Chapter 1, verse 17. Now again, here we're going to find this word enlightened, but it's used in a way that's not just looking back to a certain point, but Paul is praying here that these believers would go deeper and deeper in their relationship with the Lord, that they would see more and more. Here's Paul's prayer, verse 17, chapter 1, Ephesians that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. In other words, the ability to see this God in the knowledge of Him. Verse 18, having the eyes of your heart, hearts enlightened. There's that word. That you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? You see there how Paul almost, he almost can't contain himself. He's almost overwhelmed by this glorious treasure. And he says, I know this treasure. It's here within. I know that it's greater than anything that this world can offer. And I want you to have it. And, and so I'm praying that you will know it day in and day out. Not only that you'll see it, not only that it will encourage you, but you'll know the power, the daily power that it brings into your life. You know, Paul is pointing out that this glorious treasure that a, a believer can come to see and receive it doesn't just cease to be a treasure. It's, it's not something that happened at a point in time, but it never stops giving. And so first of all, the kingdom of the world is hidden from the rest of the world. Secondly, some come to find it. And then finally, the kingdom is 
possessed. It's made our own by our joyfully giving all. Now, this is really the key here. Because if you can think about this, that if we can see the deceptiveness of all the other treasures that this world entices us with, and that at best they're temporary, and they will ultimately fail us. And if our eyes have been enlightened to be able to see the Lord Jesus, to see the great value, to see that He is the bread of life, that He is the light of the world, that He is the resurrection and the life, the one whose promises are true, and that He has spoken into our lives, then why would we not respond by giving all? And notice back in our first parable that the man had to make this treasure his at all costs. The sense here is that there is nothing that could stand in his way. And so having found the treasure, he very prudently covers it up until he could make that treasure his. The point there being that there was nothing that would stand in the way. He saw the value and he was going to make it his and it says, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now Jesus is saying here that Christianity is, is not just a way of thinking. Now we do, we call it a worldview, but it's not just that. It's a way of life. Remember in the book of Acts what the early believers called it. They called it the way it is a way of life. And so Jesus doesn't just say, I'm your teacher and, and do your best to follow my teaching. No, many people go wrong here. And they think that Christianity is just something to be understood. And if only I understood more. No. Jesus says, if that's the case, you've missed it all. What He says is, is if anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow. What he's saying that is that in that following, that's where the value comes. That's where the recognition comes. That's where the, the benefits come. It must be in that following. There is no other way. Now, of course, our prime examples here are uh, Jesus' disciples, the twelve. Now, think about uh, what you know about the twelve. To those who were out fishing, Jesus said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And we're told that immediately they left their nets, they left their boat, they left their father, their family, and they came and they followed him. To Levi, the, the tax collector, and we know he must have been both wealthy and powerful. That's, that's what tax collectors were in that day. They were hooked to Rome. Uh, they had wealth. They had power. They had the things of this world. Jesus said to Levi, to Matthew, He said, follow me. And here's what we're told about Levi. He rose and followed Him. That everything in the world that meant so much to Him, certainly that had meant so much, He was willing to leave it all behind. And so he came into this new way of living, this, this wholehearted commitment to the Lord Jesus. 
You know, our family has been uh, watching the series, the, the Lord of the Rings. I know most people have, or a lot of people have seen these movies. They came out years ago. I, I've never seen them before. And so we're going through and watching a number of these movies. And uh, in one of these movies, there's, there's a spot in which this band of warriors, uh, these, these nine men of different shapes and sizes are, are uh, around in a circle and they look at one another with amazement because this one man, Aragon, uh, they just come to see him in a brand new light, to see him for who he truly is. And, and one of the, the nine speaks up and he says, now that is a king that I'm ready to follow. And what he meant in the context was to follow him to my death. And notice that that's what we're called to here, that there is a point, there must be a point at which we're able to say those words because we see Him for who He truly is. Our, our eyes have been unveiled. They've been illuminated and we're able to see. Now, notice what's underneath this following. Uh, what did Jesus say to this man who uh, went out to the field and found the treasure? It says, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. You know, we can never think that this is something that is forced upon a person. And we can never think likewise that this is something that, that someone just intellectually made the decision uh, to do because it made sense. It seemed right, kind of like you might with an investment. It's clear there's going to be a payoff there, and so you go and you make that investment. That's, that's not what this is. Uh, this is a treasure that is unlike any other. And once you've seen it, you know that nothing else will satisfy. And so with this man joyfully, he relinquished all else, and he went, and he received it for himself. You know, we can see this again with Jesus' disciples uh, John chapter 6, a place I've, I, I turn to often. I, I love this passage. Uh, it's a place in which many of the, the followers of Jesus, the larger group of disciples, they just turned away from following Him because the cost became too great. And Jesus turns at one point to the twelve, and He says to them, Do you want to go away as well? And you know, they, they faced the exact same thing as, as that large crowd did. They're confused. There's a huge cost, and, and they see it. They don't know all the answers. But how did Peter answer the Lord Jesus? He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You know, for Peter, there is conviction in that answer. There is wholehearted commitment without a doubt in that answer. And there is also an underlying sense of joy in that answer. He's saying, we followed you. And we have found satisfaction. We found meaning. We found purpose. We found a, a refuge and a haven. We have found, even in this world, we found life in you and in you alone. And besides all of that, you are the Messiah and the only one who brings hope 
to us. You know, there are going to be times in our lives when we are discouraged, when we are disheartened, when we're brought low by the circumstances that are in our lives and it's almost like everything else and everyone else has been stripped away from us. And the question's going to be there at those points. What is it that remains when it seems like everything else has been taken away? This is that which will remain and this is that which if we belong to this kingdom, must be and will be our answer, even with an underlying great sense of joy. Now, the picture that we're given here is that in all circumstances, a joyful recognition of, of God's rule over our hearts and over our lives uh, will manifest itself in us if we belong to this kingdom. Because our eyes have been opened to see what's important. Now, for the rest of the world, they're blind. There is an inability to see this. But we are able to know that we have salvation for the present. That we have salvation for the future. And as Peter said, to know that He is the Holy One of God. You know, Peter was saying, we've, we've tried following our own hearts. We've, we've tried seeking after the, tra- the, the pleasures of this world. And every time we've come up short, we know that none of those can, can satisfy. But now we see, and now we know this treasure. And that it will provide when nothing else ever will, and it will continue on. It's not temporary. I just want to close with a couple of words out of Isaiah 55, the passage that we read earlier. Uh, This is a call. It's a call into this kingdom. Uh, Isaiah says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? He's talking about all those other things. Why do you fill yourself? with all those other things. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves with rich food. Incline your ear and come to me and hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. What's that covenant? That is an assurance that His promises will hold true forever, that He will be ours and we will be His, that we will remain in that kingdom as citizens of that kingdom all the way through, and He will provide for us. This is the kingdom that He calls us to, and He calls us to see and to recognize uh, that it's a kingdom that keeps giving, that never ceases. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank You this morning that we can read these words and know that they are truth. We can turn to other places as we have in Your Word and know that it speaks truth to our hearts. I pray, Lord, therefore, that You would convict us of these things, that You would open our eyes, as Paul prayed for the Ephesians, open our eyes to be able to see those things that that You so readily provide for us. 
And help us, Lord, in whatever situation that we are in, therefore, to be encouraged, to be lifted up, to be brought to see you, to see our King, and to know that we can rest in his presence. We pray for your help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.